Every day, America Online is making it easier for people to live, work, and play. When we installed internet access on our computer, I got the whole family involved. And you Just what is this main artery of the information superhighway? You beautiful bastards! No matter how large, no matter how small, we'll be on the internet in the year 2000. It's the primary way that people will look at information. Hello and welcome to When We Were There, Bias Internet History. My name is Thomas. And I'm Josh, and this is a podcast all about the history of internet content, the who's who's, the what's what's, the where's Waldo. We get into it all. Whether you like it or not. I, I think people should like this one, uh, Thomas. We have we have a pretty cool cat of a guest today. Uh, I, I think a little history on this. About four years ago, Thomas sat me down and he said, you gotta watch this show. And that show was called Nirvana the Band the Show. And I said, how do you hear about this? And he's like, oh, it was from this YouTube channel. And that YouTube channel is now one of maybe like five people I still watch awesome. on a daily basis. Is so, that actually true? That Did I put you on to, to Adam? To oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Mm. Huh. Well, thank you. So, yeah. <laughs> no problem. So we have Adam here. Thank you so much for being on the podcast, man. I made it. You did it. Finally. This is your <laughs> final level of success yeah it's all downhill from here yeah oh yeah i mean this is the beginning of the downfall absolutely yeah. everyone who comes on here like kevin mcleod was killing it and now he's like blowing dudes on the subway what about fox mcleod fox mcleod actually was one of the few people that got a modicum of success off of the show mm -hmm. but he died later <laughs> he in grew a... like 50 feet first and then died yeah and he's not doing tragic. well anymore hmm Sometimes I still see his girlfriend, but it's, you know. You guys are hooking up? Like a little bit, but I'm I'm not into it. <laughs> like I don't want to be doing it. You're but I pissed feel bad. that you're hooking up. I am pissed. But Crystal. I, <laughs> it's not my choice really. It's just I feel like it's something I have to do. Oh. To keep his memory it's alive. Non consensual. <laughs> no, yeah, not at all. I, I, I'm not consenting, not at all. I'm pissed. But both it of is you are angry is. that it's happening, but it it's kind of one it's of those what, unavoidable things. It's what Fox things. wanted. Yeah. I I've guess. been hooking up with the frog for no reason oh. whatsoever other than it's <laughs> Skippy? kind of fun. Is that the name? Yeah. yeah, sk yeah it's Skippy. terrible, but I, I keep doing it. Mm. No and teeth. I'm not proud. If I can come clean, I think I never played Star Fox. I got to be honest, you guys. You know, no Star Fox 64? Nah. Okay. I played I played the shit out of Pokemon Stadium. That was my vibe. The first Nintendo console I ever owned was a Switch. So nice. The only Star Fox I ever played was like I think it was called Star Fox Adventures or something, and it was like a third person shooter kind of thing. Um, like a There's walk still around Star shooter. Fox game. It was for like it yeah, was for that's... like GameCube though, with a, at a friend's house. Um, but mm. yeah, I don't know. I only bought a Switch because I thought I thought they would do more with it. You know, I thought I thought you'd be able to buy N64 games from the Nintendo store and play them, but you can't. I thought they were going to have like the entire Nintendo. Library yeah. Wouldn't that be there. like a good idea if they wanted to make money? <laughs> I think they're yeah. just fine just being Nintendo at this point. Yeah. Being like we have Mario. So we got that going for us. Yeah. Nintendo don't innovate your brand. <laughs> I, I, I have a question for you, Adam. Mm hmm. If you hate movies so much, you know, for someone who hates movies so much, you watch a lot of them. Yeah. But I don't. So. But ask you your don't question. watch them. I don't hate 
all movies. There's a lot of movies I like. Oh, Christ. I really thought that was going to be like a hard-hitting kind of like breaking like a go- news story. A gotcha moment. A real gotcha a- moment. No, I mean, uh, I don't know. If the first thing you found on my channel was a recommendation for a show I liked, then... I know, I just... <laughs> That's true. You did kind of fuck up that bit by bringing up Nirvana, like right out the gates. <laughs> I know, dude, but I really it's thought okay. we were going to have a gotcha moment there. No. And I fucked it. You can't get so, me. I'm, I'm, the, so I'm the guy who gotchas others. That's true. You're the gotcha king. You, you got a say. lot of dirt on us is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Shit. Oh, fuck. Really? Okay, fuck. I'm I guess prepared. we got to keep our mouths Fuck. Well, I I just want to know what is your relationship to the internet? Like, was YMS your first channel? No. Or was yeah, uh, I feel like I imagine before, that. real quick, maybe in case people don't know who you are, what your sort of stick is. Yeah, for idiots uh, that don't know who you are, who are you? I'm an angry man. All of my content <laughs> is me complaining about things. I do music. I do video games. I do movie reviews. I do sometimes like kind of like i don't know stream vlog type things pretty much every mm. one of those is just me complaining about shit but some facet of your life that's pissing you off yeah basically <laughs> but but at the same time i think you've also probably turned a lot of people onto a lot of different media they wouldn't have seen otherwise like True. even just anything that you know any zapruder property that's mm-hmm. something that i think is one of one of my favorite movies is synecdoche new york and that awesome. i got from you yeah, Which, cachet. That's we won't, another one. Uh, really dig into you too much yet, but like, what? What the hell, man? Where's the rest of the review? <laughs> oh no, I mean, I was. If you watched part five, it was very clear at the beginning of that review that although my intentions when I started the uh, Synecdoche New York series were that I would just do all of them right away, um, life got in the way, as is explained by the movie itself, that that happens and time keeps moving forward. And then because there was already a large gap between part two and three and between part four and part five, and the gap just kept getting longer, I became more comfortable with the gap existing because that went in line with the themes of the film. And now I believe that, you know, with the plan right now being to finish up the whole thing, you know, whether part six is 20 minutes or an hour, the plan is to finish up the whole thing probably next year it's after my lion king review and probably after my 2016 review and nothing else you know n- no okay. other major project um i can take that yeah and, yeah and I, I, I knew you were I you like were leaning that. into the, the i bit like of the it. idea yeah. of having it start out you know a good amount of years ago five six years i don't know how long it's been right yeah, it's been a and while like yeah. the, the five the themes that are within the film itself are experienced by the viewer as they watch the film, assu- or sorry, as they watch the review, assuming they started from the beginning. But even if they didn't start from the beginning, from part one to part six, you're going to notice that my voice sounds a lot different. I talk very different. My editing style is different. You know, there's measurable mm. change within the review itself. And I kind of like that meta attitude because that's something that the film itself brings to people. So mm, totally. Yeah, that is fair. Uh, and yeah, even if like, I think I started, I think you had done two parts. So even still, like, even if you got something to like, look forward it. to over this goddamn mm-hmm. pandemic. Yeah. The <laughs> only reason there were gaps in the first place is because, um, well, it's you just know, a like I, of a project. Yeah. It's a, it's a big project. And when I have two, the, the first two parts taking 
a good amount of time to edit and go through and all that. And it's been several months on that channel without any, um, without any like comedic com- content, which is what people are there to watch. Like I'm not interesting mm-hmm. in like killing the momentum of my channel and killing it in the algorithm just because, you know, like I want to finish up a project that doesn't even seem, you know, I don't even know where the end is. So mm-hmm. yeah, I had to be like, okay, well, uh, I'm going to work on a, a funny haha dissection of a bad movie um, between parts two and three. And, you know, that's what started it. And then I forget which one it was between part four and five or bet- between part two and three. But like we'd also got uh, basically kicked out of our house just because the landlord didn't really renew the lease, wanted to use it for personal reasons or something. I don't know how yep. legal that was, but like in Vancouver, the Doesn't rental matter. market, it's, you know, for renters, uh, it's really hard surprise, to find a place. Adam. We're actually from Vancouver. I heard. We're in Vancouver. Yeah. Oh, shit. I did my research. Yeah. I got dirt on you. The- Christ. Christ. Yeah, no, the market here is terrible. I know Thomas just had to find a new place recently. Our old building was like bought by a new owners who just were going to fucking up the rent, which isn't legal during COVID, but I don't know. It seemed not. Yeah, what can you do? Yeah, not really. I mean, there are certain legal avenues that you can go through, but. Honestly, and I've tried taking legal action before against landlords, and honestly, nine times out of 10, it comes to nothing. Like, yeah. Well, they just just took a wall down while you were out at work. (laughs) Oh yeah, one place they they just started renovating the building while we were still living there, and it's like what? Yeah, it's not allowed There's at like, all. It's it's a really terrible situation because like they can get away with all of that because it's their market. Like, what are you gonna do? You know, like no, exactly. Yeah, we we need them more than they need us. There's a higher market for renters needing property than you know. we start our own market. Yeah. Yeah, if that bubble people. bursts, that would be cool. But we never know if that's. Going I want to pay. They've been, they've been saying it's going to burst for like thirty years. Yeah, which will happen I, I first, swear. the housing bubble or the earthquake? Yeah, true. Hey, for people who don't know, this is something that's like just a fear that's instilled into Vancouver children. When you're like eight, they tell you, "Hey, at any moment, it could happen right now." Because we're uh, due like, for it. It's going to be uh, terrible. Yeah, an apocalyptic earthquake could just happen, and like destroy the entire city mm-hmm. richmond will lick the ground will liquefy and it'll sink into the ground like it'll, it's gonna i don't know if it's that extreme everything. like we're on the fault line but it seems like um washington and california are gonna get the worst of it compared to bc yeah that's just what i remember being told as a kid yeah. <laughs> so I, I have friends who like sh- i mean she's like very already nervous about shit but that affected her so deeply that she's like most of her decisions in her life are like okay what what would happen if like the big one happened like when she's like applying for a job it's like okay if the big one were to happen while i was working here like what would i do what if it happened while you were giving head though that could go very wrong (laughs) depends okay depends what your uh what you're into what your response is if you're if you got a dick in your mouth is it just bite down is that it like <laughs> i think you just got to finish the job at that point earthquake or not and then deal with getting yourself safe mm-hmm. that's the only the polite thing to do i guess yeah absolutely you want to be polite earthquake or not um but yeah so i guess like josh was asking i think um out of all of the guests we've had so far adam you strike me as probably the most likely to be 
a consumer of the internet more so than just a creator mm-hmm. if that's correct because yeah. a lot of the guys we talk to i'm like like talking to F and D or whoever, I'm like, oh, like what was it like being on YouTube back, you know, in the day? And they're like, well, honestly, we were just kind of uploading. Oh, no. We weren't really consuming. Yeah. So that's something I'm interested to ask about, particularly. And again, I'm just assuming, but I get the sense you probably spent some time on 4chan. Oh yeah. Is that yeah? yeah back in the which day, which I think is back in the good old days of. I don't know how yeah. good it was, but no, it wasn't great. But you're um, even very vocal on your Reddit, not oh, just yeah. like AMAs. Yeah, because so, I, I um, Reddit's a really good place to have like um, a good understanding of what uh, you know what my fan base is thinking of, and have like a curated understanding of you know not not everything gets upvoted that should, but um, mm-hmm. it's better than just 4chan where any random troll is has equal weight. Uh, in the conversation is some somebody who more legitimately reflects the broader community. Mm-hmm. Well, I I just also think you know for someone where a lot of your 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 brand is being pissed off by things, you really do give a fuck a lot, whether it be actually the quality and continuity of what's happening with the film, or you know communicating with your fan base. And I think a you know in a lot of ways, I think you and Red Letter Media probably created what is now sort of the baseline or the formula for video essays or reviews kind of i don't know i think red letter media is responsible for inspiring a lot more than i am i don't know actually um i guess we're kind of i don't know there's a lot of videos that i see even in the commentary community not even necessarily film reviews where it's like okay that's a very adam johnson yeah yeah i've seen a few but i don't know because my format was inspired by them, so if we're gonna go down the uh, the web, I guess um, I don't mm. know what they were inspired by, um, but yeah, basically the the my first video that I ever created on my film review channel was v- a very close mirror to their to their content. Was, um, was that the precious one, or yeah. is that one that's not up anymore? No, I keep everything up. Um, nice. It was the pressure. But yeah, in the we, pressure one, you even talk about how inspired you are by Red Letter. Well, yeah, because I'm it a, you do it an a honest few times, person, actually. and I'm not. <laughs> you know, I, you know, if if something's, I I don't want to be deceptive. So why mm-hmm. would I? But you do have to understand that, like, that's a very rare thing on YouTube. Yeah. Most people will just, you know, take whatever it is they're doing. You know, I think there's a certain point where even comedy on YouTube, when sketch comedy was big before, like, the algorithm that kind of ruined that hit most people were just being smosh or being Ray William Johnson, not really mm-hmm. saying anything about it. Um, yeah. I mean, most people are dumb idiots. So most yeah, people are included. stupid. <laughs> I'm the only smart one. That's true. You're all crazy. I'm not crazy. Um, you know what I will say? Something that I found funny going, cause we went back, we did some, digging on you as well my friend Uh and we we went and watched the uh we watched the precious one and one of the biggest things that stood out to me two things i guess one you're already very close i think to like finding your voice and your your like style even though it was obviously you know pretty lifted from red letter media you're already kind of putting your own spin on it but and the biggest thing that i think has changed now is you have such a like a lack of like i guess confidence compared to now where like I like bringing up that you're like yes I know this is a red letter media ripoff and you say it a few times because it almost feels like you're self conscious of being 
called out and i think it's interesting to see that like growth i suppose um and also the way you state your opinions now when you talk about something before there was a lot more clarifications or qualifiers being like you know like this is just my opinion depends or this is on just the subject depends yeah. on the subject because like uh, again keep in mind with that review when you're when you're uh criticizing heavily criticizing a widely celebrated um film that is independent it rose through the ranks and it's got so many different social qualifiers black filmmakers yeah. overweight actress the films about like rape and discrimination and all that you want to make very very clear that if you have contentions oh, with the film that it's not contentions with the subjects surrounding the film or the subjects yeah. that the film discusses and so yeah i thought that that was an important clarification to make um of course so it depends I, I think on the more subject what I, was, I think but well, yeah that yeah and that's fair but i think more what i was kind of leading to it was that um i'm wondering now that you have like an audience that like seems to respond to what you say do you feel more confident in giving your opinions online depends on it depends on the subject yeah yeah it depends on what it is i would say um there is in my mind what i think is like generally overall i i would say that i made less qualifiers back then for certain things um you know, I spoke about a lot of things in films in that first year or two that I was making reviews on my channel. I spoke a lot of i I spoke about a lot of ideas in films and presented my opinions in more of a matter of fact sort of way. And mm-hmm. um, I think since then, part of how I've grown and and how I've presented myself is. I've made it very clear that although I'm confident in my opinion, what I'm talking about is my own opinion, my own experience. Um, And so a lot of the arguments that I have with people online is not trying to uh, enforce some sort of like objective emotional experience saying everybody has to feel the same way about the film. It is to say that my experience is not invalidated just because you disagree with me. So a lot of the arguments that Mm -hmm. I have when I say um, like, oh, I can't turn my brain off no matter how much you might want me to. That's not an argument saying uh, that if you didn't notice the same things I noticed, then you're stupid and you watched the movie wrong. That's not what the argument is. It's an argument against, whether preemptively or otherwise, it's an argument against a very vocal group of people that will try to invalidate my opinion by saying that I watched the movie wrong because I noticed certain things in it or because I had feelings about certain parts in the movies, saying like... yeah. You know, if I had an issue with something and their response is just, just turn your brain off. You're not supposed to think about that sort of thing. It's like, okay, well, sometimes people weigh different things in their minds. Sometimes a logical consistency for characters and how they would act and um, how they're written and the level of conveniences in a film, that might bother someone more than another person who might just be looking at film as some sort of popcorn amusement park ride entertainment. Um, so you have to consider that people have different brains and that's where the argument's coming from, really. I don't know. Well, absolutely. But I think it's one of those things where if even, you know, someone says, ah, you're just nitpicking. I think there's definitely a lot of films out there that clearly give a shit. And it's Mm -hmm. especially when you start noticing that, I mean, this is kind of different, but the first job I got, you know, in the industry was visual effects. And I think once you start doing that a while, it's hard not to notice things. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. 
you know, it's like, oh, okay, like clearly that was not keyed well at all or regardless yeah. of what it is. You, you start noticing these things and I think when you see that people give a shit, it's pretty cool. Like the small yeah. minute details that someone actually puts into like, okay, make it worth it. Like even last night, I was just re-watching the review that you did on After Earth. Mm-hmm. And it, it clearly the production designer didn't really coordinate with whoever was writing the script when it even just came to something yeah. as simple as like, oh, well, I have oxygen masks that aren't connected to anything. Why yeah. the fuck doesn't he just use that when he's going on the planet, you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, like you said, that was just a film so Jaden Smith could be a star and it could yeah. give M. Night something to do. Well, here's the and thing think- is like, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. Oh, no, I go on. Well, here's the thing. It's like if I, I feel as though the more the more room there is to criticize elements of a film, the more room there is to appreciate elements of a film. You know, if, oh, if, if there are elements that, sure, maybe the average person or most people might either not notice or not care about, and they don't take an issue with, even if they didn't notice it before and you bring it up and they say, okay, that doesn't matter because I watched it and I didn't think of it, blah, blah, blah. That's fine. Um, but I think that, there is legitimacy to that because it it gives an extra sense of appreciation for films and filmmakers that do take those things into consideration. So mm-hmm. a lot of my favorite films and filmmakers are super meticulous. They care about not just what the actor in front is doing. They care about what the extras are doing. And they give them very specific details on how to act and work with each of them personally on an individual level, just even for one shot where there's like, you know, a room full of people in a theater and you and the shot can go on for like 10 seconds, a minute, doesn't matter how long, but it's always going to be interesting because out of the 50 people you can see on the screen, you can watch somebody different. Your eyes can go to somebody different every time. And it's like, oh, they're, they look like real people doing something, right? It looks like you just mm-hmm. stuck a camera in a real room. Although, you know, it is acting uh, there is a level of appreciation that can be brought to that. So it's like, yeah, in, in a dumb factory movie or movie that I would consider to be a dumb factory movie where they don't give a shit about any of those things and there's an, ex- you know, every extra in the background looks like they weren't told what to do and some assistant director said, ah, fuck it, go run out there. Um, I think that that's worthy criticism because otherwise, if that's not, then how do you appreciate the films that do make those considerations? Well, totally. e- even something where you look at like something with a micro budget, even that like you've turned us on to like Operation Avalanche, they took mm-hmm. the time to actually convert a lot of their digital to 16 to splice it with a 16. Yeah, to that make was cool. it look natural. And then all like everything they did with actually like putting themselves almost like Forrest Gump style into a lot of like pre-existing footage of NASA. Like clearly there's effort put into there on such a mm-hmm. micro budget. And you see these like $300 million films or even like, as people in Vancouver, I'm sure a lot of people here have done their tour on a couple hallmarks where clearly no one on set gives a shit. Yeah, that's what I was going to yeah. bring up. I did like a year as a, as a camera assistant on hallmarks and it's like, it's, it's literally soul sucking. It's I know. It's so it, terrible. It's, it's most projects being filmed in Vancouver, especially, but globally. <laughs> I know. Yeah, it's awful. But I was also going to say uh, in line with that where like a lot of these things like obviously not every movie is gonna be fucking synecdoche new york which is so meticulous and like every detail is Mm -hmm. orchestrated and i don't expect every movie to be like that um but yeah there's nothing uh, wrong with popcorn movies i love popcorn movies too but when a a movie doesn't 
like there are some things that are just not hard to do and once you like start working like if you work in the industry at all or work on a set and you see like the things that they'll just not care about yeah and it's like it wouldn't have taken that much more effort to do it right yeah that's that's when i get really upset there's there's like different levels of what audiences are willing to accept in films if something becomes mm-hmm. too common of a trope or too common of um of just like a I, I guess general mistake whether it's in the writing or the presentation when more audience members pick up on it then the film industry has to change otherwise people are just going to be like okay well that's bullshit right like the level of acceptance for what computer generated effects was is very different um today than it was in the 90s right um mm-hmm. and it's you know it, it, you you could look at like a really terrible computer generated effect in the 90s but audiences were willing to accept that because it was something that was the standard of the time and they were you know the it it didn't look as bad as it does now because there wasn't the same threshold of what people were yeah, willing but to it, accept. Well, it's like when you would go and play fucking like PS2 or whatever and playing Ratchet and Clank, and I mm-hmm. thought that game looked amazing, and I go look at it now, and I'm like, okay, it does yeah. look like shit. But, but, if but we're at talking the same about, time, sorry. I think... Uh, so I was just going to say, at the same time, I think that if you're invested in the story, even with something like visual effects, you, you don't really care. But when it's a piece of shit film where clearly they didn't care, you start noticing little things, whether it be in the effects or the dialogue, that you wouldn't normally notice because you're actually invested depends on the movie and how they handle it because there are you know like if you let's say somebody really loves the writing in the film maps to the stars by david cronenberg there's a um, near the end of the film spoilers one of the characters um gets lit on fire and uh this is this is basically the ending of the film and they're right next to a pool and the fire is not only cg but it's fucking terrible cg and like cg fire has been like pretty much perfected since like i don't know the hills have eyes in 2004 like there's no good excuse for why the fire should look that bad especially when the director is david cronenberg who has done you know famous for lots of like practical effects it's like okay you're a director in the 80s just fucking light a stunt dude on fire you can't see the person's face right it's covered by the fire they're next to a pool it's like the safest conditions you could possibly have for lighting someone on fire this is the end of the movie i don't care if somebody loved the writing of the whole thing that is something that like it's so preventable where it's like okay well why is that like it would have taken well, you like that's an what extra i'm talking about right of filming or less just to like give a shit about that clearly you didn't give a shit that doesn't mean the whole movie is bad if you enjoyed the rest of the movie but yeah it does, no, but it does become like kind of a stain in a way because it's like why don't you give a shit like why how how can you consider that acceptable when it's just clearly looks so bad and if i don't know how david cronenberg could not think that looks like shit you know like i don't understand that yeah well i think from the guy who made fucking video drone that's incredible like there's (laughs) no excuse for it like it doesn't make any sense like you're an established director and i think some people just like decide not to give it shit at some point like i think if there's any amateur vfx artist out there listening to the podcast you've probably used action movie essentials and every gunshot or blood hit in action movie essentials is in the walking dead and yeah you could have done one original thing you kind of could have gone behind like a green screen and then just shot like a squib off you could but it and it's so terrible and it's so Mm ill-timed but like that's something like if i watch the walking dead like i can't not notice yeah you could have given a little bit of a shit on that yeah i miss green screen squibs i don't see them a lot you don't really but it's like really you're like a hundred million dollar you know not this one but i've seen hundred million dollar movies that have used like something from like a hundred dollar package that you bought online 
Big yeah. shout out to Andrew Kramer. <laughs> so Adam, yeah. If you ever, do you have any like, I don't know. Would you ever want to make a movie? Like, is that something you'd ever I do. be interested in doing? Here's the fucking problem. Um, I need. So well, I was actually talking to um, David F. Uh, Sandberg, the director of Shazam, um, mm. and he was on Sardonic Ass, the podcast that I do. Um, and basically what he was saying is like he was experiencing some sort of like imposter syndrome. Like he didn't know what he was doing, uh, but he made a short uh, that was really effective, which was the um, uh, Lights Lights Out, I think it was called, is the, the film he made. Um, but he made a short of that. It blew up online. Uh, producers contacted him and basically set him up with everything. Like the, like, okay, here's what you need, the crew, blah, 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 blah. And like things were basically ready for him to just do his shit and you know just do his job and and he was able to to make a successful film out of it and now his career is doing great that's awesome um i would love to get in a situation where like that which obviously i would have to make short films and prove myself to get into a situation like that but i would love to yeah. get into a situation where i'm not feeling as though i'm responsible for every single thing and i have a lot of trust issues when it comes to me as a human being i guess um mm -hmm. i've been let down by a lot of people i've been screwed over by a lot of people um and so i'm also like if i'm going to make something artistic um i'm going to be a bit of a control freak over <laughs> over it you know i want certain things to be certain ways and so um yeah i guess with uh when it comes to like future prospects of like making a film it would be great to have an idea have a producer or some producers that would be like, yeah, I want to fund your idea and I don't want to change your idea. Have some people that are like already in the industry to be like, okay, well, here, we can set you up with these people. Um, you know, like I wouldn't have to make my crew from scratch. Like, cause that's, yeah. that's the most intimidating thing to me right now as somebody who's doing everything independently. Like I made an album pretty much by myself. I made a music video pretty much by myself. It was literally just me walking around with a tripod filming different shots. That's the the music video itself. The concept for that was brought out of me being able to do it by myself. Um, mm -hmm. That's the that's the one where yeah. the like the I can't remember. I watched it. It's where all the like different shots at different times of the year. Is that what it is? is yeah, that and the, the piano keys reveal different parts of it. And yeah, that's what it is. Yeah, yeah, that was really yeah. cool. Actually, I really oh, thank you. That. Yeah, I think that turned out pretty well. Um, mm -hmm. But again, like that's that's all stuff that I was just able to do by myself film shoot you know edit uh concept right blah 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 but it was yeah. only possible because i was doing it by myself i don't know where i would start in terms of like getting together like a team of people that i trust or like a crew that i trust and i've actually talked to it's some filmmakers easy. on this no. um exact same sort of like uh reservation or hesitation i guess um, mm -hmm. and they've recommended some, you know, on online spots where, uh, you can basically like request like, Hey, I'm looking for, you know, like a gaffer or something like for my next project and see if there's somebody in your area that wants to do it. And he gave a lot of helpful advice. And so this is something that I'd really like to take a good shot at in the next five years, or at least, you know, yeah. the first step would be making enough time in my schedule to make room for writing. Cause like I have a lot of ideas that I want to turn into some sort of script. 
Um, and I'm constantly writing ideas on my phone and saving them and being like, oh, it'd be cool if, you know, you had a character like this or a scene like this or a shot like this or an a overall concept like this or a reveal like this. And, you know, that's a lot of um, how I've made a lot of my music, too, is just like writing down a bunch of ideas. And then when it gets to the point of, um, you know, feeling inspired enough to make a song, then sometimes I'll go through a bunch of the notes that I had already created and see what fits with the ideas that I'm going for and maybe add them, maybe not. And so I think I'm perfectly capable of doing like a script writing thing. I would just actually need to, to dedicate some good solid time to it, which I cannot do while I'm working on the Lion King and Synecdoche, New York. So those two things needs to be out of the way. And I need to make some gigantic changes in terms of like how much of my own time I am dedicating to uh, the YouTube stuff, which I do not mm -hmm. plan on abandoning, obviously, but I would like to have a future in the next two, five years or whatever, where I'm able to take more of a backseat approach to it, still lend my voice, my ideas to my channel and all of that. Like the majority of the videos of my YMS channel right now are not edited by me. It's just the larger projects that are. Um, so obviously okay. that is something that is within the... Um, range of possibilities um but yeah i need to uh i've noticed need to figure yeah, some shit out basically i've noticed you've made a, a transition to doing more frequent like smaller quickie type things where you talk about like you know three movies oh, as opposed at once to what? in a video as opposed to your like long form uh ymS reviews how like, how, how frequently do you think they came out before and when 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 do you think a shift was and what do you think uh, the shift I, was? I don't know exactly when it happened. I mean, I could try and pull up your channel right now, but uh, it's just something like, that I, my my argument is that uh, when the videos are thing, longer, they I've take noticed. no. Because I I would say that you're incorrect about that. I'm not <laughs> not okay, trying to be fair. a dick. I, I it's it's kind of this. Uh, it's like a um. Oh, what's the word? Um, it's like an illusion in a way. It's mm -hmm. like um, the way we perceive time and the way um that we are biased towards like a certain frequency of something. So when I was doing um, like when I was doing YMS reviews five years ago or whatever, mm -hmm. they were 15 to 20 minute long parts that would get released every month really or two. We could only really do 10 minutes or Yeah. And even, even like, well, yeah, no, I mean more than five years ago it was a 10 minute limit, but even, even like, f you know, a few years ago or something, um, I don't know how far back actually, but um, when I was releasing more frequent YMS review style videos, those things were shorter and lesser quality, right? Mm -hmm. um, there was less put into them time-wise from my end, um, and so they got released more frequently. And I didn't, you know, as as much as we can go back and look at my Walking Dead review of, you know, four parts and be and watch them all as one thing now. It's kind of frustrating, you know, as I'm releasing something to be like, okay, wait another month or two months for part two. Like, I don't like the idea of doing that anymore. So my last three big reviews, um, The Lion King, which I'm still working on, Kimba, which was two hours and 40 minutes, and then yeah, Old Boy, which was one hour and 40 minutes. They're literally getting longer and longer each time I go. And so obviously there's going to be more of a gap between them. But if you mm -hmm. really break them down and you go like, okay, well, if the Old Boy review was split into 15 minute chunks and think about how many would have been released over a time period anyway it's really not there's not that much of a discrepancy so yeah i mean and that's i was more saying that uh i'm just commenting on the frequency of the of the like quickie things coming out now i actually i 
was saying more that it felt like there were longer gaps and you would wait longer for a video okay. but then it would be like a bigger like uh i'm thinking more of like the cool cat neil breen stuff which was like a couple of years back when mm-hmm. it was still like there'd be a gap between videos and they were a larger more higher quality thing uh, yeah and it was more just that i guess like the quickies are being edited by someone else i'm, I'm yeah guessing. so uh, yeah there was a um that was basically to solve an issue of like okay if i'm working on these larger projects sometimes mm-hmm. it'll feel like i don't have time to make a quickie you know like the editing process of just like a short you know quickie review can can be like a full day recording watching the film editing you know etc cetera, etc cetera. Mm-hmm. so the more that i take out of that since quickies are not you know they're not rocket science they're really formulated uh, in terms of the editing like it's really not that hard to like edit together one of those in terms of like like y- you can you can do it just muscle memory basically but it still takes yeah. time so yeah the that that was that was to make it so that i could cover more films for quickies so i could mm-hmm. give myself more more time for that because otherwise yeah it, you know totally and also uh, probably at, in the same swoop appease the algorithm a bit mm-hmm. as they desire frequent uploads and yeah. the festival circuit right now over quarantine it's easier to just bang through a lot right now instead mm-hmm. of just normally when you know whatever is coming out i i i do wonder though so before you started yms kind of going back a lot earlier what sort of content were you putting out on youtube was it similar or more you trying to make you know some like sketch comedy or any sort of film that you were putting independently on youtube i'm just pouring a lacroix into uh, a glass you here pour so that i'll LaCroix, give, I'll my, give my answer right after the pouring is done sir what flavor it's just lime all right all right um before my film review channel i was uh posting shitty uh kind of like sketch comedy skit videos that were mostly just you know half of them were projects that i filmed in school um and the other half were just you know we're bored let's fucking make a stupid movie video thing and yeah just from the ages of like 13 to i don't know 18 19 um and then I, you know, moved away from that, um, mostly just to grow the other things that I was working on. Um, I was doing vlogs. I was doing music. I was, you know, my music channel is much older than my film review channel. Um, and then, yeah, my, um, started doing the film review thing. I saw an opportunity for growth there and, uh, you know, the the goals of my presence on the internet was to build up an audience so that I had more freedom and had more people watching the things that I was doing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I had had a thought in my head. I had always had a good understanding of, like, how the internet algorithms work. So uh, the biggest music channels at the time when YouTube was just starting out in 2006, 2007 or whatever, the biggest music channels that existed were ones that did cover songs of more popular songs. So things that were popular at the time, like Lady Gaga or whatever. Um, I wasn't interested in doing that because my music is very personal to me. The bands that I liked wouldn't give me enough attention to, if I covered them anyway, you know, like if I do a bright eyes cover, that's not going to get me a big audience to the front page. That's not really going to grow anything. So instead Mm -hmm. of doing that with my music, um, and making derivative content, you would call it, um, I decided to, uh, create another channel where I was making exclusively derivative content. You know, you're talking about movies. People are already searching for these movies. People are already interested in discussing these things that already exist. 
Um, and I felt as though I had a perspective on quite a few movies where, you know, very opinionated, uh, went against the grain, not intentionally, but just um, inevitably, I guess. And so, yeah, that was a, a part of what uh, got me started on my film review channel and what started the name uh, Your Movie Sucks is because like most of the most of the strong opinions I had on on movies of like the ones that I really wanted to talk about uh, when I was starting out the channel were were just things like, okay, everybody loved this, but this is just fucking awful. And I need to explain why. Um, yeah. And so, yeah. And I'm here was... to tell you why you're wrong. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, now I wouldn't categorize it that way. No. I'm, course, I'm but... here to to justify my own perspective on the film. Wait, so, I guess, like, back in the day, were you watching a lot of the big channels at all? Like, were you into people like Smosh and whatnot, or were, was that not your Um, vibe? I watched Smosh occasionally. They were never, like, hugely my thing. Um, I preferred mm-hmm. F&D films to Smosh. Um, right on. And, um, yeah, the... Uh, depends how far back in the day you go, because, like, the the most like the the most subscribed channels back in the day were like Smosh and like York Fred yeah Renetto and like fucking what the buck and like just oh all shadow these, what the like, buck another guest yeah ancient names yeah uh, <laughs> of you know some sank and some swam honestly I mean save for like sexy Phil I don't really know anyone who's still thriving from that time like smosh um, is, as a channel is still big but like i don't know fucking jack's films has, has adapted yeah pretty jack well. jack's films yeah that's true i don't know uh, but he wasn't like big big back then he gained popularity like he's been making yeah. stuff for a long long time but yeah he's existed as a like, bigger youtuber for a while probably not i'd as say shane before but. shane got canceled true yeah. I, just, I just guess like Phil pretty quickly rose to the top and pretty much hasn't left in the entire time. It's insane. Mm-hmm. But uh, anyway. Yeah, mine's just been a slow, steady climb. Hey, man, I feel that. We're not even... <laughs> We've We're been nobodies. trying to climb, but we keep falling. Falling? We've been making videos since uh, falling off. The Why falling? Mountain. What do you mean? Uh, just in terms of I've been making content on the internet for years and years and years but nothing's like stuck you could mm-hmm. say which is fine so you have um, this podcast that you just started this is i think this is our ticket out of nobody'sville well this it's is something you know like, this is also derivative content i was gonna you say have, that yeah. you have to uh, you know if you have guests on that people are already searching uh on the internet and making associations to then they'll want to check out a thing and they'll be like oh i like this you know Hopefully, that's the dream yeah, is that they that's, they care about us. That's that's how you have <laughs> to start making content on the internet. And that was, that was the realization that I had. Yeah. yeah. All of our feedback so far has just been very brutal, anti-Semitic, oh. terrible stuff. People telling us to kill ourselves, okay. commenting on my nose. So, mm. you know, it's, uh, once people stop hating us as much, I think they'll, they'll like the podcast. Yeah. But <laughs> the video is only for your patrons, so it's just your patrons commenting on your that nose see, they're paying yeah, and money so far it's just thomas's girlfriend my aunt who are really stripping you down <laughs> really stripping me down <laughs> making me feel like a small man yeah. my aunt called me a small dirty jew and i said auntie rachel you're more jewish than i and then she spit in my face 
The the audio <laughs> listeners can hear your nose. They can. Oh, it's very loud. They can. Yeah. My my nose and my circumcised penis really peak a lot on the levels, so people can really hear that. Mm. Um. Were you on new grounds at all? Uh, occasionally. Um, I didn't. I didn't browse it as much as YouTube. Uh, right. What would you say is like your first sort of like foray into the internet? Like, were you on message boards or what? what oh was my the goodness! My um, the there's like ancient websites that are pre YouTube that I enjoyed. Um, Homestar Runner. Homestar Runner, sure. Uh, Killfrog dot com, JoeCartoon dot com, oh, yeah. um, bunch of random nonsense. Uh, yeah, a lot of them were like animated cartoon websites, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to go to like a like a I can't remember what it's called. Uh, it's like Stick Page or something. Stick Death. Maybe there was a few was different like Stick Stick Funny Junk, Free Online Clips, E Bombs World, Yeah, Knox Corner. Yeah, Knox stuff Corner. like that. Fucking yeah, Kaza LimeWire. Fucking. Oh. <laughs> I yeah. I remember so many times like trying to download an episode of SpongeBob on LimeWire. It took four days. I'd open it up and it was just porn. Yeah, there was no uh, there was no quality control there. No, not at all. Yeah, I remember was, there was got a virus. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I kind of miss it in a weird nostalgic way. <laughs> the the. Mm. The constant threat of getting a virus? No, I just think like if I if I was a little bit older and had some more foresight, I'd rather watch the porn than SpongeBob. I can mm. watch SpongeBob on the TV. So True. you you pull up the porn on your computer and SpongeBob on the TV, and with one eye you look at the computer, and with and the one other eye, the porn, and I'm laughing and jacking it at the same time. Yeah, and you're having <laughs> the time of your life. But I I didn't have the foresight yet, or the foreskin. I was gonna say that. Yeah. I I never had the foreskin. That was something you did for a hot sec. For a hot, I actually got a late circumcision when I was five, and I had to wear a skirt to school because of the stitches. It was very uncomfortable and very embarrassing. Hmm. But and I now, wasn't cool already. So now you're too fun. traumatized to wear a skirt anymore. No, I'll still do it if it's comfortable enough for the stitches. <laughs> you still the have stitches, stitches are the stitches are still there. Yeah. Um I I think something that interests us a lot is and something you've dealt with a lot is is fair use disputes. And I know um when we had Blame Society on just talking about using a, a character like Chad Vader, you know, luckily they had LucasArts support behind them, but I think you've been people have tried to sue you many a time and you've successfully gotten past that. No one's ever filed a lawsuit against me. Oh, okay. Um, there have been threatening legal yeah. letters, sometimes from lawyers, sometimes from people pretending to be lawyers, but no one's ever, no, no one's ever filed a lawsuit. I actually have a question. We asked, I asked, I mentioned this to Kevin McLeod. It was about the music you use as backing tracks. Like mm-hmm. you use like straight up, just like a Dre beat. How does, how does that work? Is that fair um, use? Well, so the... In my earlier content, those usages are more frequent. So something like my um, Kimba review, that was just 100% Kimba music. Um, mm-hmm. And so 
The important thing to understand about fair use and fair dealing is that specifically in fair use, um, especially the way that uh, the American law is written and, you know, depending on how you want to interpret it, YouTube is an American company. A lot of these, um, a lot of the properties that I'm using are American owned. Um, mm -hmm. With how things work, fair use is very, very interpretable and very, very malleable. And the biggest consideration to make when you're creating content online especially if if you're not selling it you know on a dvd and having like uh you know private screeners and people pay tickets for it and it's just free content for ad revenue if you're making content especially on the internet doing this is that you can get away with uh using materials as long as you feel and as long as you would be able to you know make these arguments in court um, that your usage of these materials doesn't take away from the target market's demographic. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you can, you can, if, if theoretically I went to court over uh, Dr. Dre's 2001 Interscope Records uh, took me to court for uh, what's the difference uh, instrumental backing track that I've used and um, Shoe on Head's used and Turkey Tom's used and a bunch of people have used. Um, if I went to court over that, I'm trying to think of like the highest possible damages that could arise from my usage. So even if let's say I lost a court case and they determined that despite me not taking from the intended demographic or the intended market of the song, and despite there being zero, uh, notable or provable, um, loss of revenue from them. If they, even if they were to prove in court that like the people that watched my video, the money should have went to them instead because they were using my video as an alternative to listening to the song. Like, like the experience yeah. of me talking over something with it low in the background is the exact same as just listening to it, even though it's just a loop. It, even if they were to prove that in court, the damages would not be very much, right? Like, be yeah. because yeah. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not uploading the song to a torrent website where a bunch of people have gotten uh, the song for free and would have paid for it otherwise. And I'm like the sole person responsible for it being leaked on the internet. And, you know, you could you could argue in court that there's like millions of dollars in damages over that. For the ways that I'm using things in my reviews, where like any individual review, it's like, what what's the money I make off of an individual review? Like maximum, like, I don't know, a thousand bucks or something, right? Like depending on how many views it gets, like a couple thousand, like, I don't know. Um, and if you really break it down, it's like, okay, well, what's the percentage of how much the song exists in the review? And then it's like, are we going to say like, okay, if it's 2% of the review, is it like 2% of the revenue from the review? It's like, what, yeah. no one's going to take me to court over that. Like the worst that would happen would be, um, like to, to get the video removed. If let, if let's say they wanted to sue to keep it from existing, then that's something that could theoretically happen. However, all of that being said, um, I've generally moved away from using um, less than relevant uh, backing tracks in my reviews uh, mm -hmm. and am now, you know, most of the, the vast majority, yeah, like every review I've made in the past like year at least. Um, and then if we're counting quickies, like past few years uh, has been using uh, like royalty free or um you music know. from from the property yeah, which yeah it, and and it, yeah it, and that's what makes it weird too is because like 
my Kimba review, it's like it would be the easiest fair use uh, argument to make in the world because I'm using the backing tracks from the show. But, you know, at what point... At what point is that necessary for the review in the same way that, you know, a Dr. Dre uh, beat in the background is, right? It's like, yeah. am I specifically commenting on each individual moment in that song? Or is it more about what it means to create the product that I want and express the tone that I want? Um, you could even I argue suppose that... You could... Like, like uh, I, I've actually um, argued uh, that, you know, by by using a song in a certain context and editing it and providing your own emotional um, experience to the product that you're making, you are inherently making observations about the song. You are inherently making comments about the tone of the song. And perhaps even you can be using an, a song in an ironic way. If you take a piece of classical music, like I use um, uh, Claire... Claire de la Lune? I forget the... Claire de Lune? Claire de Lune. De, yeah, de Bussy. Um, <laughs> I use that a lot. And even though, yeah, that's um, uh, public domain at this point. But let's say it wasn't. Um, the context in which I use that, like it's a sadder song, but I usually bring it out in comedic purposes, right? So mm. that that is changing the experience of what the original intends in the market and that is an easy thing to bring to fair use parody you know Be um, satire like, almost. yeah like it's it, so like this is all this is all very uh interpretable and very malleable and um all you have to go off of really is like case law if it gets to court you know if if you get a cease and desist or like what what kind of um what kind of like settlement or concessions would you even be making, right? Like, so th there's so much to consider. Um, I don't believe that any usage of copyrighted materials on my channel has been done in any sort of like malicious or immoral way. I don't believe that anything I've done has like prevented sales. Uh, I would almost say the opposite. Yeah, like, I've, even, I've only I, promoted. Like, like, have there been any artists that have come been like, hey, you've actually pushed people towards songs? Like, I know. Yeah, like, I've had entire watching playlists a lot of your of videos, like, like the stuff that Raid I the Radio in. got stuck in my fucking head. And that's at least gotten 20 plays out of me. And I can't imagine I'm the only person. Yeah. And this is just something that people are going to have to accept about, like, the current landscape of media and the Internet. And this is something that laws are actually going to have to catch up with. Because, like, although, yeah, a lot of these considerations are interpretable within the currently existing fair use law, I would much rather have specific um, considerations and specific, uh, specific items written into law that, that make sure that we have these protections. Instead mm -hmm. of it being like, oh, well, maybe it'll go to court and maybe a judge and blah, 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 blah. Well, also, would... it's like, I don't think anyone's watched one of your videos and been like, wait, Adam used the Wii Shopping Channel music. I'm throwing out my Nintendo. Like, I don't think that's going to happen. Oh, yeah. I don't need that anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Like, He's it, ruined yeah. it for me. That's something that, that a lot of older generations have to learn about the internet right now is like, media has completely changed everything is a fucking remix everything's derivative you know like yeah. you sh I, I i'm so pro art and create creativity and freedom artistic freedom that like i want to see a world where you can just like take an existing song that's not relevant to anything you're doing it uh but putting it in your own content and that content is so you and you can argue that 
you know, like as long as you're not creating an alternative, as long as it's you're you're not creating something where like people no longer have have any reason to purchase the original song, um, then I think you should be able to do it. And if YouTube implemented a system that was much more um, free than what they currently have, and it's so easy, and they could do this in a fucking heartbeat, all they need to do is have their content ID system make considerations for the amount of original footage or music that was used and the amount of revenue that would go to the original copyright holder. Because in all reality, if you're using like a tiny bit of music and if you're, if your video is an hour long and you use like 30 seconds of a song because you felt like this would just like make the review so much better or make the video so much better. It's just like as part of an intro and you want to promote the song and blah, blah, blah. Everybody that does that, I'm sure would fucking love to, p to pay like the, the pr pr uh, proportional percentage of their review or their video to the original uh, copyright holders and claimants. Unfortunately, the reality is that like people don't have those connections. You can't just like fucking get an email for Interscope as some like you know fucking fifteen year old YouTuber making a video. Like yeah. you're not gonna get in contact with people for like you signing like all these legal documents and having like a three month ordeal just to get licensing for something. That's not gonna fucking happen. But YouTube can implement in their system a way of divvying out percentages of your video based on how much is it is used. Like if let's say you make a dollar for a video. Um, and 10 seconds of it, uh, or sorry, 10% of it is not your content and it's someone else's, but you know, the greater video is yours. You should get 90% of the revenue and they should get 10%, you know, depending on yeah, how yeah, that's used. And that's, that'd be so fucking easy to implement. They're already would, doing that, like not with YouTube, but like their relationship, there are websites that have, um, you can, you can like do a cover song and part of, you, you'll get paid for part of the uh revenue and the original writers of the song will get paid as well and it's automatically set up with major labels too like this already exists the technology is not hard uh and i would love to see a day where youtube implements that sort of thing and i would love for uh things to just get more creative and more free because uh, yeah I, I would i totally wouldn't mind if part of my revenue was going to like some of the sources of the original copyrighted material i do mind that if 10 seconds gets clipped in my review that's like fucking three hours long that 100 percent goes to the original owner of that 10 seconds that's bullshit yeah, so that's insane and that's why i wonder if it's actually a like a purely business incentive that there's there's pressure on youtube to not change that because they probably i'm sure they make a decent amount of revenue who knows from claiming because videos. like that the the question to to answer would be is the implementation of this existing discourages discouraging people from including these things in their content because of it because perhaps point. like you know all of the major youtubers all of the like big big youtubers they don't fucking touch like copyrighted material. Like they can just get a license to like Epidemic Sound and use a bunch of like royalty free music. They can just pay some random person to make like a tiny thing. Like they don't want to touch that shit because they don't have to, and they have all the funds and resources available that they they don't have any issues staying away from pre existing copyrighted content. Um, and so for them, perhaps if YouTube implemented the you know the system that i am just talking about where it's like oh a small portion you can pay a small portion of your ad revenue perhaps they would start implementing copyrighted content and copyrighted music into their video if they found that it would make it better a better product you know maybe perhaps what is keeping them from doing it is the idea there it's like oh i won't make any money off of this entire video if i include like 10 seconds so uh that would be the question to answer is like yeah 
I I would uh, just you know we'll not take up too much more of your time, but uh, I would be remiss just because this is an internet history podcast, and I think something you would have a unique perspective on that some of our other guests maybe haven't is uh, the furry community. Mm-hmm. And is that something that do you think was that bred off of the internet, or do you think that was there? you know, before? Um, it depends in what form. There was no furry community before the internet, really. Um, like do you the, think that was a community that was exist. maybe not established under the same name, but something that... Uh, look at... Fuck, there, I, type into Google, fucking uh, Osamu Tezuka had, like, lewd mouse drawings that he made that his daughter recently, like, <laughs> uncovered yeah. after his death, you know? Like... Um, a lot of like old fucking uh statues and shit uh <laughs> are like weirdly sexually suggestive yeah. furry thing. Like obviously this has existed in uh people's minds well before, but uh the yeah. internet's existence is like okay now we can take uh this really niche interest, um and you can actually communicate with other people that have the same niche interest. Whereas before it's like okay you're never gonna find these people. You know, like well, it's, I think it's a, so... as a tool, the internet is something that amplifies stuff. Like, so it'll take that like small, you know, voice or kink or whatever community mm-hmm. and like amplify it to be this this big thing. And it, I, I mean, uh, it, like any tool, it can be good or bad. You know, mm-hmm. in different for different things, it's not great that it's amplifying it, but you know, yeah. Um, I, I mean, well, because. Yeah, it depends on what kind of things we're talking about because if like incels and you know yeah well that's more like, like that. a political like ideology absolutely isn't it? but because I think like, that's just totally yeah. but it's still something, something that's that is... fueled and amplified I think by the internet by echo chambers so while like on one hand someone like you could find like a, a community that you know helps you feel more more normal I'm assuming or, or you know comfortable mm-hmm. in in your own skin because you're like okay I'm not alone and that's yeah. a really positive thing. But then at the same time, there can be people who are, you know what I mean? Well, I think it's like in our last episode, we said the internet can be used for like good, evil, or dumb. And mostly it's evil or dumb, but there is a lot of good there. I I, I think one more question I'll just ask about it is I also think there's a lot of misinformation on exactly what the furry community is or just what a furry is. Like I know even I was just rewatching Entourage recently Mm. and there's an episode where Turtle ends up hooking up with a furry and in that it's described as just specifically stuffed animals but i yeah that's that's, i don't think that's right at all yeah there's um yeah yeah uh popular media never does a good job uh tackling subjects that they are uh, don't understand or don't give a shit about um yeah it would to to um to describe what a furry is um you know obviously it's self-identified uh Mm -hmm. you can you know, it, it, it's it, at its sure core, it, it is a person with an interest in anthropomorphic animals. So any sort of fictional um, animals, whether they're um, uh, based off of real life animals or based off of mythological animals or aliens or whatever, you know, any sort of um, humanoid that isn't completely human. Um, and uh, the art and the you know, I guess you could say role play or um, just fascination with like uh, the characters and the universe. But the universe is so uh, vaguely defined that it's just like the concept of these things existing. It's like a part. It's something that exists only in our imagination, basically. 
Um, mm-hmm. And it's existed yeah. for a long time, ancient Egypt, you know, blah, blah, blah. Um, even like caveman paintings and stuff. But um, yeah, there's... Um, to to say that it's a fetish would be a lie. To say that it's not fetish a fetish is also a lie. Um, it really depends on the individual, um, which is why the umbrella of furry community... Um, the the only connecting tissue is is literally just the interest in anthropomorphic animals whether that mm-hmm. be you know through stories or art or whatever um well, I... or media any type of media or anything um there's tons of people um within the furry community they're asexual there's tons of people within the furry community where um you know it is a part of their sex life there's tons of people where you know, it's more of a part of their identity and their sex life is only a byproduct of their identity. Um, you know, it, it really depends on the individual. So to, to, to describe a furry and nail it down to like one specific thing would be, it's like, I don't know, describe like a male. I don't know. Describe or just like sexuality yeah. in general. Like, you like know, yeah, what well, is, what is even... a human? Like the, the human experience is so different right there's there's only like a couple things that connect like every human being Mm -hmm. to be able to say like this is a human whereas like everybody's experience and personality and um life and upbringing is going to be like completely different so very wildly i I I think think something we were sorry thomas one last thing i'll I'll, sorry (laughs) um but when we were talking to michael buckley just about sort of what the internet was kind of the beginning like what sort of comments was he getting most of it was very negative, even, you know, because he was an openly gay creator. And I'd like to hope that in some sense, the internet has kind of evolved to be a little bit more accepting. But I I think people at least now know that there is a furry community, whereas in the beginning of the internet, was it something that was more a little bit more on the down low that people well, weren't as I confident guess, talking about? And this about? is where it shows for me, Josh, is I don't think you spent any time on 4chan maybe <laughs> I, I guess that's the problem because i've known about furries for a long 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 time just through no but knowing about versus you know engaging in the community yeah i mean there was i think a community on 4chan though there was also a lot of hate against furries on 4chan but that's what i mean like even with something like the queer community mm-hmm. like if you were a mm-hmm. queer creator it'd be so easy just to say like oh die faggot like yeah mm-hmm. Whereas I think hopefully now just with whatever someone is as a person or their sexuality is at least, you know, if someone does just bigotedly call you out, more people will be there to defend. Yeah, I mean, um, it says a lot more about a person than it does about the person they're being mean mean to, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I don't know. In my own set of principles, in my own uh, self-discovery as a person as an adult as a human being um i've always found it important to be honest and open i've always understood that um any secrets that you keep are just things that people could use as ammo against you um you know there it it would be a bigger deal for uh someone who is not open about themselves to be found out and caught like as a furry or something yeah. than it is for yeah. just someone to be like, yeah, I don't give a shit. Well, um, I mean, when you treat it as like something shameful, then it makes yeah. it shameful. You yeah. Know? You it's, it's a, a, as big of a deal as you make it. And there are obviously going to be some people that, um, 
I, I guess it's their first day on the internet or like, I don't know, like the just <laughs> don't, don't have like a yeah. mature understanding of the, uh, variety of different human brains and experiences that could exist. And possibly maybe that there's other people that might not be into the same things as you sort of thing. Like, yeah, there are some people that get really emotional over that, but, um, yeah, most of them are stupid and you don't really need to pay attention to them. There's stupid people everywhere. Uh, even if I wasn't a furry, I'd probably feel like really intellectually disconnected from people, um, it, you know, in terms of like uh, my own lived experience, in terms of like how I feel emotionally about certain things and like the type of things that I like, et cetera, et cetera. Like, so I don't know. Um, people, people put different weights on different things, uh, sex related things uh, and identity related things, both of those things. Uh, mm -hmm. seem to trigger a lot of uh, really irrational negative emotions in certain people. Um, you know, well, people I mean, get even really look at the state of Vancouver right now with Asian hate right now. I think mm -hmm. specifically in Vancouver, I know it's like, I think some like 800% up that there are more Asian hate crimes right now because of COVID mm -hmm. and other things, of course, to the point where so many people, even elders are being assaulted. And I mean, I know that that still happens, but you you know, you don't really hear about that stuff until kind of now and you'd like to think that people are looking at the world a little bit less binary but yeah evidently yeah, not you you can't um you can't expect everybody to have been exposed to the same pool of information that you have that has led you into your own beliefs and how you feel about the world um the best thing you can do is just to try and uh share your own experience and share your information what led you to believe what you believe if you want to convince other people but yeah just expect expect that that most people have not given any sort of serious introspective thought to why they like what they like what level of control they have over what they like um you know the the, <laughs> the uh concept of free will i guess uh whether or not you're uh you had a choice in your own desires uh whether or not you know someone's desires are inherently harmful just because they're different um most people don't give serious thought to those things uh, yeah so and i guess that's what leads just have to low expectations sort of bigotry in general is sort of being scared to coming to terms with what's going on in your own head and being mad when someone makes you reconsider something yeah i guess it's just sort of in my head i, d I don't really understand the well you're different from me so i'm a i'm a punch you in the nose like it's that. a sh it's a complete shattering of someone's entire worldview right so, like, it, as as human beings, as a species that has evolved socially, um, we've, because of evolution, in order to survive, uh, we've we've needed to have parts of our brain that get really emotionally um, upset <laughs> about these sorts of things. Um, we've we've needed to have a like an outsider's, uh, you know, tri tribalistic mentality when there were tribes and perhaps there was another tribe and you killed them and you're the one on top and that's why the genes get yeah. passed down sort of thing. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, like that's, that's a part of our DNA. Uh, it, and it's just whether or not somebody is going to, I guess, even attempt to be intelligent enough to rise above their caveman brain and try to think of things a bit more critically and not just, uh, go with their, 
gut reaction or their emotions or however they totally. justify I mean, their emotions, I guess. It, it I, It's understandable why people do that. I guess it just like I'm pretty dumb. And I don't do this shit, so I guess it's it's it, no, it just but doesn't really I, make... you're a pretty self-aware person, and that's kind of what it comes down to. Is yeah, it depends like, what you mean by dumb, because like there's 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 people well, that spouse, you know might so yeah like no that doesn't matter. Like I don't <laughs> I I don't give a shit if somebody knows rocket science. I don't give a shit if somebody like reads a lot of philosophy. I don't give a shit if um somebody's not good at math i i really don't care about those things like what matters to me in a human being is like whether or not you're an asshole um yeah absolutely. <laughs> like that's the I, only I, thing that matters that being said if you don't know math i don't want anything to do with you if anyone's listening to this <laughs> and it's like ah, i don't really know math that well stop listening to this podcast because the goal is for this to become a math-based podcast yeah. i i think that there's um that there's a level of intelligence when it comes to like your level of acceptance and your 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 willingness to challenge your own beliefs because that is something that like not a lot of people are capable of and there's tons of people that are academically smart you know and they have credentials and degrees but they're completely unwilling to challenge their own beliefs which is like one of the most important things that you can do as a human being with a brain right yeah. um and so it's like i don't know like IQ isn't everything, folks. And, and honestly, a lot of, of the story. The, uh, the world's tragedies have come from people like that. A lot yeah. of horrors have happened from people who are like very well equipped mentally, uh, intellectually, but not in a self. Hitler couldn't way. get into a Jewish art school. Yeah. <laughs> um, and that's yeah. And now I have no extended family. How is that fair? Oops. I guess yeah. That was a big oopsie. He was having a bad day. Yeah, yeah Christ. <laughs> Hitler was having a bad day and wiped out like six million Jews, a bunch of gypsies and non-whites and mentally challenged people. That's a pretty bad day. It's a terrible day, but you know what? Everyone has bad days. So it's okay, Addy. I guess that's what the moral of this episode now? Is everyone has a bad day. And it's okay, Addy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because we don't... we were almost had Adam talking about like you know challenging yourself and self reflection and whatnot. Um, but, but then we drift over to like Hitler was just having a bad. Day. Yeah, and now that's what this show is about. So I hope you're happy with yourself. <laughs> yeah, as long as none of my family hears this, I think I'm still ace at well, Pesach dinner next week. It's all good. Your, your auntie. Oh shit. Okay. <laughs> well, fuck. But you know what? On that note, um, Adam, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Uh, we really appreciate it. Uh, no where can people fine. find you? Uh, search YMS on YouTube. The channel name is YourMovieSucks.org. There's also a website, YourMovieSucks.org. Um, you'll find a bunch of links to my other things from that website or from the YouTube channel. Those other things include my podcast, Sardonicast, that I run with Ralph the Movie Maker and I Hate Everything. Sometimes we have on guests. Um, sometimes those guests are filmmakers, sometimes they're YouTubers. Um, I do music and unkindness is the band name, A N space U N K I N D N E S S. Um, my recent album is called 10 years. Maybe check it out. Spotify, iTunes, all the major platforms. I do gaming, uh, gaming channel is Adam plays A D U M P L A Z or Z E. And, um, yeah, I, uh, 
do yeah man <laughs> do, you got any, uh, you got any things people should be looking out for anything exciting coming up oh the uh, lion king review yeah the lion king review but it's like fuck it's taking so long yeah i was excited what's the runtime on it at this point is it like three hours it's um well i mean like projected or like from what i've edited uh, projected. either yeah projected. projected it's i don't know it's between three and four hours um i'm excited then i i love the kimba that was just super fucking interesting and i think thank you when you're invested in something you're totally fine watching two hours of it totally well the fact that video has like how many million views three point something it's, yeah on a, on a two-hour video you don't see that a lot so fucking congratulations man like i said that's well, no no bullshit you are one of like the five people i actually consistently watch and I get a lot of entertainment out of your content. So it's it's definitely an honor to have you on the podcast. Thank you so Thank much. Thank you so much. That was fun. If you want to find us, uh, we are Friend Styles on YouTube. We are When We Were There show on TikTok. Though they took down our last TikTok because apparently you can't have pubes in it. Too hot for TikTok. So you can see that on our Instagram when we were there show uh, friend styles on Patreon and we're still working on getting our wholesome only fans up. Yeah. Also a website at some point. We have friendstyles.ca because we're repping Canada. Not because friendstyles.com was taken. That's not why. It's That's not why at all. No. It's, it's friendstyles.ca because Canada. But there's nothing on there. So I just hold up. Don't go site. there. Not yet. I'm working yeah. on it. It's on my to-do list. I'm, I'm looking. No, wait. No, it's not on my to-do list. Oh, shit. Okay. We'll get it on there. <laughs> Thank you guys for listening. Thank you, Adam, so much. We'll see you guys next week. Bye-bye. Bazinga. Bye.